Well, I saw that uh, video in a ministry called Hope International, which is a really neat ministry that um, lends like microfinance loans and, and, and helps people where they're living in places in poverty and helps them take what they have and with the right counsel and things around them help them develop not only a relationship with Christ but the means to to make a living and to make an impact and so I thought what a great way to express those four scriptures that I kind of want to base some of what we're talking about this morning on we're in a series called open hands and uh, as you saw that video and some of the highlights and the biblical stories that were a part of it they illustrate this simple point God doesn't need much God doesn't need much just what you've got you know when I think about that I think so often our our thoughts are we need so much we lack so much to meet the needs of the world but what I want to share with you is that I think with open hands we give to God we're going to talk about four things. A peaceful soul, a perceptive eye, an imaginative mind, and a willing heart. God can do incredible things. Let's pray. Father, we invite you into these moments. I ask you, Spirit of God, that you would exalt our Lord and Savior Jesus, and that through this we might know you, Father, more fully and closely be able to walk in your presence. Extend, we pray, your love and the rule and the values of your kingdom through us everywhere we go. As a church family, God, we offer up before you ourselves. In Christ's name, amen. There's some ways I want to talk about how you can open your hands, and in your opening your hands, say, God, I give you. I give you this. I give you a peaceful soul. You might wonder why you want to give him a peaceful soul. Because it really all starts there. Because if you start looking at yourself, you're going to be in trouble. But if you, you turn your eyes and your soul and your heart to God, you begin to look up, and you, you begin to look not at what you lack, but you begin to look at what he has. And you need a peaceful soul because you're actually going to do something and God's going to use you and allow you to have an impact in the lives of others around you. You have to come to, in one place, a peace with God. So if you're here in this morning, you're in a place where you've been wrestling with God, one of the first things he wants you to know is he deeply loves you and he loves you so much that he wants to take you out of that wrestling. He wants to actually let you know that he has provided for you a way to be in relationship with him and he's forgiven your sins and he he's, he's offers himself to you to walk with you. And he kind of says, don't turn away from me, don't fight any longer, just open your heart to me. And he fills you with peace. But what often happens is when people come into that relationship where they now have peace with God and they've been justified through faith and they have this peace with God, we often lose that peace. If you're like me and like most of us, what we do is we go, okay, things are right with God, but then we kind of take things into our own hands and we run around somewhat anxious and nervous thinking we've got to figure this out, we've got to make it happen, we've got to do something and one of the things God wants us to do is not to look at ourselves and what we lack, but what he has. What I think is interesting is, if you think about it, there is an enemy that wants you to move to a place where your confidence isn't in God. 
Because if he can get your eyes off of God and get your eyes on yourself, what happens in that when we become anxious and nervous, we begin to fret and we begin to to move to a place that we think we've got to make it happen and we move into our confidence and we begin to react in ways that, that don't allow for God to provide and work through us. You see... I don't know what you might be wrestling with right now. You might be actually facing some really difficult decisions or you might be in a place in your life where there's some circumstances due to an illness or, or it may be due to a family um, crisis that's going on. There might be something in your work world. It may be that you are in a place where you're saying, God, I, I want to do something for you, but I just don't have a lot to give. And God's going, that's good. Be in that place. That's okay. What I want you to do is have a, a, a soul that's full of peace and trust in me. And, and, and what I, I love about this is if you want to scare your enemy, the, the enemy of your soul, don't move to anxiousness. He can't stand it when someone is in a place of peace going, my God's big enough for this. Now, that's not easy to do because we all want to tend towards our own patterns of, of anxiety and fear. But he, he begins and he says, don't look at what you lack. You look at what I have for you. Because Satan wants to move you to fear. He wants you to doubt God's love. He wants you to lose confidence in God's ability to provide. He wants to crush your hope. He wants to rob your joy. And he wants to steal your peace. Anybody there? On the other hand, God says this. Even in the worst of circumstances, Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I'm God. Why? Be still. And know that I have what's needed right now for this moment, for this hour, to do what needs to be done. God does not say run around nervously and figure it out. God does not say get real big and threaten through intimidation to get what you want. God does not say go around slyly, secretively, and manipulatively to get your ends that you desire. God says this simple word, and he says it in Psalm 46. And he begins this psalm, and he says, God, our present help in trouble... Now listen to these words. Therefore we will not give way to fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, the waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with surging. That's not a good scene, right? If you felt the earth begin to shake right now, your immediate response would be what? Fear. When you see the things in your own life begin to kind of shake and, and, and you begin to wonder... Our immediate response is, i got to do something, and we move to that place. And God says, no, the first thing I want you to do is be still. Be still and know that I'm God. I want you to begin to worship me. I want you to begin to look at me. I want you to begin to realize that all the resources that you need. We just tend to look at our lack, and he says, no, look at my ability to provide. Again and again, you'll find David in the Psalms talking to himself, and he'll say things, um, and, and, and you have to understand, the self is kind of the problem. That's what gets us in trouble. So when he talks to himself, he usually talks to his soul. And there's some good biblical understanding. We've lost the concept of the soul today. Dallas Willard states this truth. He says, you are a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God, which means you are not made to be self-sufficient. So 29 times David speaks of the soul. On a couple occasions, he even speaks to his own soul. He, in a sense, looks at his soul and he goes to himself, why, my soul, are you so downcast? You ever done that? What's the problem, soul? Why are you so disturbed, soul? Put your hope in God, soul. For I will yet praise him. That yet part's the problem, isn't it? Because that means we're here and not yet there. 
Put your hope in God. It means all the days aren't in yet and God is still at work. God doesn't need much but just what you've got. And what you have is God. The moment you open your heart to God and you receive him as your, as your savior and your God, your protector, your guide, you reach up and you grab his hand and you find out his hand has been reaching out all along. And he says, I just want you to live that way, recognizing all that you need and all that you need provided is in me. So God says, in some cases, just wait on me. And you read the Psalms. Throughout the Psalms, you just see this again and again. When you're in this place and you're looking at your lack, you're looking at what you need to do and you're trying to figure it out and you start to get to this place where you're all nervous. He says, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you. I think David, in some of these situations, was scared to death. He had people chasing after him. He had this heart of, that he wanted to be used by God. He says, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Wait for the Lord and be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord, Psalm 27. We wait and hope for the Lord for he is our help and our shield, Psalm 33. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then he gives this command, do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. You know, you, you read through this and you see a lot of waiting. Anybody in that kind of, you know, it's hard to wait, isn't it? I was at the Costco the other day getting that cheaper gas, you know. And, and I, there was a, a pretty good long line. And I kept trying to figure out how to get up into that one spot up there. And my, my daughter goes, what's the problem? We don't have to be anywhere. I mean, I can't even wait at a gasoline station. And, and, and God says often to us, he says, wait. In fact, he goes on and you, you, you read these words, he says in Psalm 106, but they soon forgot what he had done. I mean, everybody, I'm sure many of you have had those situations where God has done really something incredible and afterwards you're going, this is incredible, this is great. And about two weeks later, maybe two days later, you soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plans to unfold. How long must your servant wait? You ever been it feels like forever? Psalm 119. A little further on Psalm 19. Why wait for your salvation, Lord, and I follow your commands? Which is a really interesting thing, because when we think about waiting, we think about this God who has all the provision, all that we need. As we open our hands and we say, God, here I am, what do I, what do I need to give you? He says, give me your soul, give it at peace. Give it in the sense that you understand that I can provide everything. And you're going to realize when I do that, I'm going to stretch your faith, and there's going to be times you just have to wait so don't soon forget what I've done in the past, but continue to wait. But you kind of go, well, I'm waiting, so I'm just going, well, okay, I'll just kind of, you know, what do I do? I'm just kind of not doing it. No, it's not you don't do anything. He, says, he, he actually says to you here, he says, I wait for your salvation, Lord, and I follow your commands. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's a will that God has for you and things he wants to provide for you even while you're waiting. So things like loving those right around you. Doing good to the person who hasn't done real good to you, right? Learning how to pray for someone who is not really looking out for your best interests. Learning how to speak well, to bless someone who isn't speaking well of you. There's all kinds of things you can do in your waiting until you see God provide what needs to be provided. I wait for the Lord. My whole being, my soul is what the word is, waits. And in his word I put my hope. While you're waiting and you're saying, God, you're the one who provides everything, one of the things you do is you give your heart and you come before God, you keep your eyes on God, you grab hold of his promise and you say, God, I am going to trust that you are going to do what you promised you would do in and through me.
And I wait for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. More than the watchman waits for the morning. In the Hebrew, the way, when they do something twice, it's, they, didn't have, they couldn't embold the type or italicize or somehow emphasize it. They would emphasize it by repeating it. I mean, that's my ultimate hope, says the psalmist, as he waits with open hands. God doesn't need much. What he needs is a heart that says, I will be in peace as I walk through this life, trusting that you, God, are able to give me everything that I need when I need it. Walking with him saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, because he lacks nothing. With open hands, then you come to this place. It's really interesting. That when you begin to start saying, God, I'm going to rest in you, and my soul and my heart's going to be in you. It's interesting, when we're running around nervous and we're trying to make things happen and we're trying to do things, what happens often is we don't see the things God wants us to see. Ever found that? You're so caught up trying to get your own thing done, you don't see the very thing God wants you to see. And one of the things that he does, he gives us a perceptive eye when we're in a waiting mode and where our soul's at peace, and when our soul's at peace knowing that God can provide anything, sometimes when you're in that place, he causes you to see a need that you may not have seen. Because God uses our eyes and what we see, and when we see a need and we're moved by it, it's that time where we open our hands and say, God, I know that you have the resources. What do you want to do about this? And so as you have your hands kind of open, what happens is this need begins to grow a desire in you. And this desire that God puts in you, you kind of give back to him and say, God, I would like to do something about this, but I'm not really sure. Moses saw the suffering of his people. David saw the fear of his brothers one day when he came down and his dad said, bring him some sandwiches for lunch. And he brings it and he sees this giant and he sees Israel all afraid and he's going in his heart, something's got to be done here. The widow saw the plight of her children and was concerned about that and goes to this, this godly man, Elisha, and says, I, I, I need your help. I, I see what's going to happen. Jesus comes up on shore looks out and sees these people as he's taught them filled with hunger and says, i got to do something about this. When you see a need and your heart has been moved by it, this desire begins to grow. And when a peaceful soul with a perceptive eye, with open hands, says, God, what do you have me to do? Your heart begins, if you look at it, begins to be moved by it. You see someone at work who you hadn't seen before who's in a place where they're in pain and your heart begins to be moved by that. You begin to understand maybe the person has been causing you some pain and trouble. You begin to realize that there's some deep wound that's really causing a lot of this stuff and you begin to look past it and say, God, how can I, how can I be engaged in that in a way that makes a difference? You begin to see these things that God has laid on your heart and as you begin to see them, you begin to cry and you begin to weep and you begin to be moved and you begin to be stirred and you begin to pray. And as you keep your soul in peace, saying, God, I know that you have the resources to do what needs to be done. My soul will stay in peace. I'm not going to try and nervously make this happen. I'll wait on you. He begins to grow this need in your heart. I love how Mark tells of the inner life of Jesus in Mark chapter 6. This is a story of Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000 from Mark's vantage point. He says, so they went away by themselves. They had been ministering, these disciples had. And they went away in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving, recognized them, ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Can you imagine the scene? There's Jesus and they're running along watching where the boat's going. They actually get to the place where he's going before them. 
And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. Mark tells us that it was late in the day, the disciples were tired. They were hoping to get away. In fact, they're really a bit frustrated because Jesus begins to see them and sees the need, has compassion on them. And they're thinking, we were just going to be going on a kind of solitary getaway spa vacation. Seriously, they're going to sit by the pool, really relax. And, and, and Jesus is now ministering again. Because in this place where Jesus knows his father has no lack, and when he sees a need, his heart is stirred by it. And then with open hands, um, we say to God, God, I, I see the need, but I, I, I'm not sure what to do. And then, and then what happens is kind of cool. He begins to play with your imagination. Now, I want to share with you that, that there's, a, there's a chance that I may be talking about, uh, you know, God using the, what I call this, um, your imagination, this imagining mind of what God might do. And some of you might go, oh, that sounds new age. It sounds a little strange. You know what? I got to tell you, every good and perfect gift is sent by who? The Father above. He has made us with imaginations. The world has had our imaginations way too long. The way God begins to stir in a person's heart is they see a God who has the ability to do what needs to be done. They begin to see the need that's out there. And what happens at a certain point, there's a crisis because the need that they see before them, they cannot meet. It may even be your friend, your neighbor, it may be someone. And you know what? Only God through his Holy Spirit can bring about the change that needs to be brought there. And there's a crisis of faith. The need is far too big for you to be able to do it. So then you begin to wait on God. You begin to look to God. You begin to ask God. And your desire over time becomes a dream as your imagination begins to think about what you could do to and, and, and be in this need that you see. And you begin to tap into something truly amazing here. This is how God has created us. And it requires faith. It requires for you to dream and to use your imagination. What if... Your imagination begins to think as God sanctifies it. What might happen? Just imagine what could be. Said Wilberforce in England, what would happen if the slave trade was brought to an end and he waited and waited? What would happen if women in the 1800s weren't looked at as property but were given rights, even a right to vote? What would happen in the Hawaiian Islands if, if, if the... The lepers were cared for, prayed Father Damien. What if my coworker knew God's love? What if the parents I stand at the sidelines, you know, I did that as a parent, stand at the sidelines with as you watch your kid play soccer or do a, and they're in a concert or play basketball? What if, what if they began to experience in their marriage what God would love for them to experience? And God begins to kind of cause his servants to dream they begin to see this God who has all sufficiency to meet every lack. And they begin to live in this, in this peaceful soul that says, God, I'm going to walk in this, and I'm going to learn to walk in this. And as I learn to walk in it, you begin to see a need. God begins to move this heart of yours so that as you see this need, your mind begins to imagine. It says, what if? What if Teen Challenge began a ministry in Haiti? What if community Bible study meeting at Holy Name Lake with some of the men in our church, came alongside a church in Africa and trained pastors and leaders in Bible studies? What if an impoverished suburb in Peru experienced Jesus' love through building of schools and homes and orphanages? 
What if some remote city in Mongolia heard of the good news of Jesus, experienced his healing, his healing touch through prayer and through a medical clinic? What if a couple sold their suburban home and moved into a mobile home park and brought Jesus to transform the people in that community? And they even dreamed about building a community center. What if a few ladies initiated an if-gathering in their church and in their neighborhoods and then where they worked? What if we, what if we dreamed that God could pour out his spirit on this church and the churches in this area and saw God work and move in a way that we never thought possible? What if the pain that we've experienced has been a purifying work of God to prepare our hearts to move to a place where we would see the needs and we would begin to imagine with our hearts as a people and we begin to say, God, you could do this. Lead us. God uses a peaceful soul with a perceptive eye that is willing to be moved by an enormous need so that the Spirit of God might unleash an imaginative mind and through that to do the works of God. I listened to a TED talk the other day. It was about this young woman, and she was in her early 20s, and she was, had a, a, a disability. It was autism, and she was speaking before these you know, people in this TED talk. And she was questioning the common drive to be normal. At one point, she's challenging people to be gracious and accepting of those who are different, not normal. And at one point, she just stopped, and she looked at the crowd. I think it was pretty you know, spontaneous. And she said, really? Really? Who wants to get to the end of their life and hear, wow, you are the most normal person around. <laughs> it reminds me of this Francis Chan video that, that maybe you've seen before. Off the team, whatever, you know, you just, there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine. Then my dad got married again. Then my dad died of cancer when I was 12. And so I'm in junior high. My mom's dead. My stepmom's dead. My dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight. And my uncle George shot and killed my aunt. And then stuck the gun to his own head. Killed himself. So I'm 16 years old. And this is life to me going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried. We get a little scared. And this is what Christians do. You know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here, and uh, I'm just going to hold on, and... Uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what, I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just... I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this. 
just in your sleep, oh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it, and then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go. <laughs> now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes. What is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, Wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip, you didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. I really believe that God might be speaking to some of you. I think he's speaking to us as a church. Man, you have one life to live. And I'm going to challenge you to think about the fact that you have a God who supplies all that you need. There's a need that he might be moving in your heart. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It may be someone that you're getting into relationship, getting to, to know that God is calling. I, I don't know what it would be, but he wants you to begin to, with your imagination, say, God, what if, what if, what if? What if you got out of your own comfort zone and said, someday, God, when I stand before you as a judge, I'm just going to go... I gave my all. As a church, we'll be judged. We're told that in Revelation. And I want to pastor a church when we get done, at least under my watch, we go, we gave our all. The last thing that you can give him that I talked about is a willing heart. You know, when each of these servants gave their willing heart, God did incredible things. He brought along a godly person. He may have that in your... As you start saying, I'm going to lean into this, God might bring someone like that along. He had all the neighbors give empty jars. He took her little oil. With Moses, I don't think it really mattered. He said, what's in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it down. God uses whatever you have. And he'll bring the resources around that are necessary. He took a little boy named David who, who stood far away from, the Goli from Goliath and uh, grabbed some stones and used an experience, some training that he had. He'll use your training. You might go, why did I get trained for this? It'll probably come back to hell. God takes his disciples and says, you guys, I want you guys to learn how my God can fulfill every need. And Andrew sheepishly says, well, there's a kid with a couple loaves and some fish. If God's calling you, and your imagination's beginning to stir, he has the resources. He just says, do you have in your hand a willing heart? I'm going to ask us to stand and just sing this song from our heart.
It's an old traditional song that says, Spirit of God, Spirit of this living God, fall on us, fall on me. Let's sing it to him with our heart. And I'm going to just uh, share with you a benediction that Richard Halverson, who was the uh, Senate chaplain for years, the late Senate Halverson, would say from time to time. And it goes well with this idea of open hands. So with your head bowed. You go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you there. Wherever you are, God has put you there. He has a purpose in your being there. Christ who indwells you has something he wants to do through you wherever you are. Believe this and go in his grace and love and power. May you participate in the life God has put before you. Amen. Go in peace.